We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike, and it's good to be back. A lot has happened in our Lakers novella since last I was on the pod. And at the end of last week, forgive my absence, uh, Kobe's statue went up, as you know, on the 8th. And that was probably the biggest event for my work and for my department. Really excited with how that went and how it turned out. As part of that, one of the things that I did was I made a video called Kobe Finds a Way. Check it out on YouTube if you get a chance. And one of the things, as you guys know, my irritation with Celtics media and whatnot, a lot of it is born from the narrative in 2010 of that game seven, where Kobe shoots six for 24 and the Lakers win, but that is the overriding takeaway is the Lakers won in spite of Kobe. And yes, he was really bad for several different parts of that game. But to me, that's the setup for the culmination of the story, which is 28 points they score in the last nine minutes of an absolute rock fight of a game. It's 83 to 79 is the final score. So scoring 28 points, that was only the second 30-point quarter of the whole series. And Kobe was at the center of a lot of it. And so part of the story to me from that is that he tapped into other parts of his expertise in order to get a win. And that's one of the reasons why he's got more championships than anybody. And so in some way, that video is a little bit of my middle finger to the Celtics guys that all, you know, really tried to, that was the portrayal and takeaway from that series. It's like, no, 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 Kobe figured it out. Right. And that happens. And so in the spirit of there being multiple paths to getting to where you want to go, of all of the war gaming and all of the trades and speculation that we send to each other, D, Spencer Dinwiddie was not a name that really came up, not somebody I considered in the buyout market. Even his type of player was not a guy that we talked about a lot. I think it's a really interesting signing, especially in context with the rest of our team, but there are multiple ways to get to where you want to go. And I think that Spencer Dinwiddie is a really good player to add for nothing at this point of the season. And so talk to me, D. Kick us off on the Spencer Dinwiddie conversation. What do you think of him? 
Yeah, so it's interesting. Mike and I spoke several times last week about the trade deadline. And Mike humored me, as I think, as much as he could about all my speculation and all of the, like, let's make a deal, let's make a deal. And Mike, as he does um, often, was right just about, like, hey, maybe it'll just be a buyout guy or maybe it'll just be filling the 15th spot and maybe the team won't send out anyone. And I thought, Pete, the framing in the aftermath of the Lakers not making a move at the deadline and Rob sort of saying, we're going to look for the best player, likely looking at a guard. It was a surprise that Dinwiddie was going to be available at all as a buyout guy, right? Like, I think there were a lot of conversations around Dinwiddie being potentially a guy who got moved as part of a salary saving perspective for a team that wanted to get off long-term money for more short-term money because Dinwiddie was an expiring contract. And that did sort of happen. He got traded to Toronto for our old friend, Dennis Schroeder. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't realize, though, is that he had a bonus for games played in his contract for another $1.5 And Toronto was like, guess what we're not doing? We're not paying Spencer Dinwiddie (laughs) an extra nickel than what we have to, and we're going to buy him out. And so so I wanted to frame it first around just him becoming available. In terms of his player type, Mike, he is another sort of score-first guard on a team that has several guards that like to score in terms of D'Lo and Austin, but he's a different type of guard in that he has a little bit more juice to his game a little bit more off of the dribble juice, a little bit more ability to get to the basket and score. He has not had as efficient an offensive season this year as he has in the past. And I'll be interested to see how he fits playing next to better shot creators because he had a really good season in Dallas next to Luka. And there's potential for him to be a really good fit here offensively. One of the things I was looking at at some of his numbers, he's not had a very good three-point shooting season, but almost all of that has been above the break. (laughs) Like when you look at his above the break three-point shooting, he's like high 20s or low 30s. And that's where the majority of his threes have been shot from. But from the corners, he's over 40% from both of the corners. Mm -hmm. And that's something that could really help. The Lakers, who they create a lot of corner three-point shots like for guys who have not been making them. A lot of times it's like Rui and um, Prince. And they're okay from the corners, but they're not snipers from over there. And I'll be interested to see if they can create some shots for Spencer there. But Mike, the Lakers just signed Spencer Dinwiddie basically for nothing into an open roster spot. And that's a talent upgrade, if nothing else. And I went into the trade deadline of like, let's give up as little talent as possible and get back more talent. And there's no better way to do that than to get a buyout guy for nothing at all, just into a roster spot. And so where are you at with the Dinwiddie signing? Pretty much right there. I want to start where Pete did, though, uh, with the Kobe game seven and watch that video. It was great. One thing that I always try to point out is that it wasn't just Kobe that was struggling to hit shots. It was basically both teams mm-hmm. for the entire game. The score was 83 to 79, right? Boston hit six threes and the Lakers hit four. And I was there. The tension in that building 
was greater than any <laughs> other game that I've been to. And, and that certainly makes sense. It was game seven, Lakers, Celtics. But I mean that physically, the physical tension of being there um, as in my case, as a reporter or in the case of a fan or in the case of a player was like the the amount that every shot mattered was such that the players wore it. And that's why mm-hmm. when you watch Pete's video, like the things that Kobe was having to do, he had to put, he had to go deep into that bag of tricks and deep into the bag that was honed for year after year after year. But just to put a couple of numbers behind it, like Pierce was five for 15. Ray Allen was three for 14. Uh, Meta was seven for 18. Andrew Bynum was one for five. Powell was six for 16, right? It wasn't just Kobe. Um, now he did, he did kind of try to take it over himself a couple of times as he has wanted to do, but it, it wasn't for fun. It was because no one else could hit a shot either. So it, it, I just always like to, to put a fine point on that game. Um, and it's, to me, it's this, it's just, it strengthens Kobe's legacy um, as opposed to Amen. like, oh, they won and when Kobe sucks. So thank you, Pete, for putting the, the video behind that. But um, that's, that's just how it was. Now, in a totally different arena here, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. I think that Dinwiddie's talent is such that you don't worry about anything in terms of fit, and you just you just sign him in that case. He's coming to you for free. You're giving up no future assets. Um, there are some parts of his game that other players on the team don't do. I I do think that the the risk of it is more just that the Lakers play small too often. Mm-hmm. We had so many pods earlier in the season, and <laughs> because oh, it's Spencer Dinwiddie, and we think of him as this. Um, this scorer and this creator and, you know, the uh, a player that has at times, you know, averaged a lot of points in this league. And um, I think his high was 17.7, that Dallas stretch that Darius just alluded to. No, no, sorry. It was 20.6 um, yep. back for Brooklyn yep. in, in the 1920 yep. season. Dinwiddie is not an efficient scorer. And Darius hinted at this. Uh, so for his career, he's a 41.5% shooter um, from the field. And from three, he's 33.1%. So how do you how do you put him in the right spots when you have LeBron and Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell? You know, to, to be additive there. Um, that the the lack of efficiency, I think he takes a lot of tough shots, a lot of sort of mm-hmm. crossover, crossover, dribble through the legs, step back. You know, those types of shots. And uh, you know, defensively, I, I I wouldn't say that he's the a point of attack defender, right? That's coming in where he's going to take out the other team's uh, best perimeter player or anything either. So Pete, I, that's where I would put that back to you. What is the the best way to use the strengths that he has without having the inefficiencies and part of the defense uh, and, and even, you know, taking minutes over a guy like if Vanderbilt gets back or Rui, these, these bigger players um, that, you know, in the Torian Prince sense was getting those minutes. So, uh, but overall I certainly would have done it. I thought it was a good move and, and that's the type of thing that you should do with your 15th roster spot. So I'm excited about him in a similar way that I was excited about Rui in being that guy that, there's just one too many guys that can do a certain thing and it, it breaks you. Uh, for the example, in the Pelicans game, CJ McCollum had to guard somebody and that was going to be a mismatch. Whoever he guarded was going to be a mismatch out of that starting five. That's kind of the magic of having all five guys being a real offensive threat. And so he kind of plays to a similar idea in terms of perimeter ball handling. He's also a, a bigger physical type of guard. He's defensively more of a two. I have a similar worry about the, uh, you know, we'll play three guard lineups too much. We'll talk about that a, a little more later, but bigger picture guys, we haven't had our backup point guard all year in terms of who was intended to do a particular job. That's pretty much been vacant. And so to go from having a vacant job, that's an important job to having it filled by Dinwiddie probably steps in as one of the best backup point guards in the NBA. 
that's a great upgrade in and of itself. And then the thing I'm, I'm excited about D is that he's a, a tier above Austin and D'Lo as a one-on-one player. And I think that we are and have been vulnerable to switches a little bit. One of the ways that the bottom can fall out with our offense is it's built around this idea of Austin and D'Lo being skill guards. And they are, of course. But if they aren't hitting their jumper, that can be problematic because they're not downhill threats in the same type of way. And there are times where both guys' jumpers go. And so having a guy that can get downhill, that can get to the basket, Dinwiddie will draw free throws on a team that already does that well. That is something that he adds a degree of power and physicality to our backcourt that also defensively, he's not going to guard ones very often. He's more of a two type of defender, like I said. And so that I think fits in with D'Lo. It fits in with Austin. It's not the best defensive type of group, but to me, going from that vacancy to having a guy filling that job is really important, D. So let's take a break, come back and keep it going. So one of my goals right now is to eat better, but In the thick of the NBA season, that can be hard to do. So I recently joined Factor, and Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service to help me do that. They can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track for your healthy lifestyle. Choose from 35-plus weekly, flavor-packed, fresh and never-frozen meals that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, all delivered right to your door and ready to eat in two minutes. And you can enjoy the extra convenience at any time of day with an assortment of 55-plus add-ons to suit various preferences and tastes. Head to Factormeals.com slash LakerFilm50 and use code LakerFilm50, all one word, to get 50% off. That's code LakerFilm50 at Factormeals.com slash LakerFilm50 to get 50% off. So I just wanted to clarify something, too, that Mike said about efficiency. Dinwiddie's not been an efficient scorer for sure, but his two seasons in Dallas, he was a, and I'm sorry, I had this up a second ago, and now it disappeared. Oh, while you're looking, let me throw one thing into this because I forgot to mention this. He's got a really nice assist to turnover ratio for his career. And so for all the stuff I said about lack of efficiency to Pete's point about a backup point guard in this case, you know, he'll it's 5.3 to 1.7. Like that's good. Even this year at 6.0 mm-hmm. assists, 1.3 turnover. So that's an important thing I should have mentioned right off the top. So just in terms of his shooting to Mike to, to add to that is that after he went to Dallas in the Porzingis trade, in those 23 games that he played with them, he had a 624 true shooting percentage, which is pretty good. And then that next full season he played in Dallas, in which he played 53 games, he had a 599 true shooting percentage. And those are pretty good numbers from an efficiency standpoint. And I think it speaks to the point that we were making earlier about his ability to be an on or an off ball player. And that's super helpful in any offense that is going to be built around LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And so I'm hopeful that I think Pete's point is correct, that he steps into a vacant backup point guard role, but any backup point guard that plays for the Lakers And if you're in groups that play with Austin Reeves and Anthony Davis, Mm -hmm. or you're in groups that play with D'Angelo Russell and LeBron James, 
or any combination of those four players where two of those guys are on the court, there's a burden sharing that's going to Mm -hmm. exist from an offensive usage standpoint. And so Dinwiddie doesn't have to come in and be this heliocentric offensive player. He needs to come in and take a piece of the pie of usage so that it's not just Austin out there trying to play one-on-one without another ball handler on the court where it's like there were those groups, Pete, where it was like Max and Vando and there's Austin and it's just like, oh man, like they need another Yeah, he's drawing their best defender in those situations. And (laughs) if you knock that defender over to Dinwiddie, maybe the guy that's guarding Austin now isn't as capable. And now you can give Austin the ball and he can attack that other guy, you know? Yeah. So I just wanted to sort of like also put that into context Mm -hmm. in terms of all of the stuff that you were saying, Pete, in terms of defense and who he can guard and offensively how how he slots in there's just a lot to like there there's gonna be hiccups um there the prospect of there being more three guard lineups like (laughs) i'm aware of that and understanding of that but one of the things that we've talked about a, a bunch mike is if you're gonna be small what are you going to do well and it's just like okay well, if you're going to play three guards and it's Austin, D'Lo, and Spencer Dinwiddie, then, hey, those guys could shoot. Those dudes can score. And if you support them with the proper amount of size and defense and rebounding, then you can win minutes with those groups. Is it likely going to be on offense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. But there's an ability now to do some things within the line of construction where it's just like, yeah, it's not like your three guards out there are are Pat Bev and right. Dennis. And it's just like, oh, man, like, what are we doing out here? There's not enough shooting. The ability to play three really good offensive guards yes. together that's a that's a look the lakers haven't really had and so what i want that to be like a real like like third or fourth pitch that they go to rather than a primary look sure but darvin's also shifted towards this bigger group i don't expect them to be like hey we got spencer dinwiddie it's time to go small mm-hmm. again i don't necessarily expect that to be a primary look that the team goes to personally so i'm hoping that a balance is struck within all and just one thing to add mike to that is the difference between the Delo austin prince and a version with with dinwiddie is the ball handling is that you can put your weakest point of attack defender on Prince and he's less likely to if you're switching if you're in a a one-on-one type of situation break you down off the dribble Spencer Dinwiddie will absolutely do that and so it's that same sort of run out of guys type of theory yeah that's an important distinction too and Dinwiddie also while you know he doesn't do this at the level of of some NBA point guards but he can get to the rim more often when he wants to with crafty dribble moves and it's like Mm -hmm. Austin can do it too but he doesn't do it a ton and I think that it so a lot of this to me just comes at Spencer Dinwiddie is in town and he's watched the Lakers play and he's thinking okay this these are the parts of my game the best part the strengths that I have these are where I can fit in and make this team better you know as opposed to auditioning for next season and like what what is his mindset? What is his mentality coming in? And you would have to think, given the benefit of the doubt, given the credit, that he wants to win uh, because that's going to help him as well as you move forward. And I think that coming into a team, especially going from what was happening in Brooklyn, where there was not a clear star, 
And Mikhail Bridges may have been the best player, but you know, he's not a number one. And I think it was hard for a lot of the players on that team, didn't we didn't Woody included, to kind of think, all right, let's play through this guy. It's like, well, no, I we could just play through me. And he isn't necessarily wrong. On this team, clearly LeBron is there, Anthony Davis is there. And I think it probably helps him get towards that mindset uh, that is going to help this team the most. And the next piece of that is just, okay, well, Austin and D'Lo, that's going to be the starting backcourt still. And I, if, as long as he's viewed in that, in that grouping uh, and, and not again, the three guard lineups, you just made a distinction as to why maybe it could work in certain contexts and I'll try to be mm-hmm. open-minded to it. Uh, I'm just still, <laughs> no, I don't I totally want to get, I totally get Yeah. Yeah. Don't want to forget the the problems that we've had talking about this no, for the no, last no, several no. years about, you yes. know, about using the guys in Vanderbilt and Rui Hachimura that came over the trade deadline. And we'll see when Vanderbilt gets back um, and that shape of the team around LeBron and AD. Um, but if you want to tell me that you if you put Dinwiddie into that spot instead of Prince and yes, you're giving up a lot on defense. But uh, damn, that, that team is definitely going to be hard just to keep from scoring a lot. So maybe that even works better than some of those units that we've seen in the past. That's what it comes down to to me is if if you're going to be small, like be good on offense, make sure that you can really leverage that advantage. And I just think that we have that pitch more available, but I'm totally in your camp, D, of that should be more of a tertiary type of look. Or there are certain teams where that absolutely should be the closing lineup, for example, for a night. But uh, it's nice to have that in uh, that available and not give up any assets at, at the deadline to get it, you know? 100%. 100%. So I was looking at some data on drives, LFR quiz time. So who do you guys think leads the Lakers in drives? LeBron. Yeah, LeBron. It's LeBron. So how many drives do you think that he records a game, though? Seven or eight? Uh, I was going to say nine. 9.7. Okay. Great. We're off to a great start here, guys. You guys are right in that range. Price is right now. Dinwiddie comes to the Lakers and his drives per game are at 8.9. So he would be right below LeBron as leading the Lakers if he kept up that same yeah. volume. That's right? good. And so, uh, by the way, who's second? Austin Reeves, 8.1. And then D'Lo at 6.8. And so there's not a lot of downhill force with the Lakers. And it's been an issue mm-hmm. all season. And so Austin drives a fair amount, but he's ripping and driving closeouts a fair amount. And Austin's really good also, too, at driving when he rejects pick and rolls. Elo sort of the same way. But they need someone else who can basically just say, like, I'm at least going to do this. There's a reason when you were rattling off his assist to turnover ratio, a lot of times guards will get assists. Not just because they're just moving the ball and passing it to a post-up player who then does like a little jump hook. This is the modern NBA. It's like driving kick basketball. It is attack a closeout, rip through, get to the middle, and then kick and spray. And Dinwiddie can certainly do that. For all the talk about like five-out offense and everything the team is doing, and there's been great strides in this. Like I'm talking about trying to stack strengths yeah. here, guys. Like the Lakers are. Without Vando available and and then without Cam and Max has a hurt ankle now too. He missed the last game. Hopefully that he'll be back soon. But I'm just saying it's just like I'm trying to think of who do you want actually playing in in a playoff series and what is the look that you're going to be able to give with these guys in the game. And Mike, to a certain extent, I think that there's always going to be a defensive backbone there. 
with LeBron and AD, particularly with AD as the driver there. But the Lakers guards are who they are. And they're not going to have some mass, some big, massive shift towards like, we're suddenly going to be this great defensive team if you're playing Austin and D'Lo a combined 70 minutes a game. And so, yes, I'm worried about the defense to a certain extent. But I'm also just like, hey, man, like if it's going to be we got to score, then how about get another guard who can actually do some of that and create shots for other players and that sort of ability to say, well, these are our three ball handling guards. They can all score 30 points in any given basketball game and do it efficiently if they're jump shots on. And then Dinwiddie adds an element of driving and downhill play. Hey man, yes, I will happily take this skill set into the team and see how this can work next to LeBron and AD especially. Yeah, I was thinking also about the groups and kind of what would optimally what that would optimally look like and who would he be playing with in what settings. And so just thinking about the first quarter, he's coming in off the bench and he's coming in and Austin is staying in, then Austin is right in that role that you want it to be, where he's not the primary, but he can kill, especially a second unit that's focused on Dinwiddie who maybe drives, you know, to initiate the possession and there's Austin on the second side. Boom, you know, th- that works. And then The emergence of Jackson Hayes to me is big, not just in general for the Lakers, but since Vanderbilt went down and all of the energy that he's been providing. But, you know, Pete, he hasn't been fouling. Um, He's been finishing everything at the rim. He's going up and catching everything. He's getting offensive rebounds. That seems like a guy that Dinwiddie could work with as well in that kind of a setting Uh, and like to close the first quarter or like once he comes in and, you know, depending on if it's Rui or LeBron or AD, one of those, one of those other bigs will be in as well um, in that group. And so that, that seems like a nice fit uh, as to what that skill set is. And I get, by the way, the other guy would be Torian Prince, um, who is offense is in its own right, um, has been pretty good of late since he's been coming off the bench. So I'm, you know, starting to have some ideas about how that could look and it seems promising. offensively. It does. Let's take a break and talk about him. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
So it's funny, as you were talking about uh, Jackson Hayes, I'm making a video on him right now about this stretch that you're talking about, Mike. And I was watching this morning, a friend of mine, please subscribe to his YouTube channel. One of my oldest online Laker friends, it goes by Anthony with a PH. And he did this great breakdown. He's a, a huge D'Lo fan, a huge Laker fan, but really likes D'Lo and has really tracked his career. And so that year that Dinwiddie scored 20 plus a game, that was next to D'Lo. And so he knows Dinwiddie's game pretty well. And he did this gr great breakdown that he did a stream of yesterday. Please go check it out about, you know, is Spencer Din Dinwiddie washed or not? And um, Anthony is one of the most ob observant um, basketball people that I know. And he's just had... Yeah, he's, he's been doing these streams. Check it out. Anyhow, in the process of that, he was cracking me up because he was talking about how Dinwiddie is a terrible lob thrower and that this is just something every lob is an adventure. And the idea of him throwing them to AD and Hayes, you know, and he just says it's going to be an, an, an adventure. Uh, I do see that stretch, though. And Dinwiddie's a guy that's been a 30 minute per game guy on playoff teams for the last few years. And so he's going to have to play with both LeBron and AD. And there are going to be some nights and maybe not too infrequently where he's closing. And so within that, I think that he's more of a two defender next to a D'Lo or an Austin. He's uh, his fit with, with LeBron and AD is that he can be an on ball or an off ball type of guy. Um, defensively, D you talked about his defensive concerns. Oh, let, let's start getting into some of the concerns about Dinwiddie, right? Cause I am excited about adding him, but I do think he sends this season in a certain direction. And as have the circumstances, you were talking about that. All the injuries just happen to go to our all of our perimeter defenders. So do I think starting Rui at the three, even though I loved the idea, I don't think that was the, our coach's first or even second choice to do this season. But that's where the circumstances of the season have pushed us. I would argue that Dinwiddie does that as well. So what are some of the downsides, do you think, of adding him to the team? He is of a certain archetype of player where it's just like he does skew more offense than defense. I don't think he's a particularly reliable defensive player. I'm going to have to go back and watch the areas where he struggles the most, but he's not a super athlete. He, he doesn't have like a bunch of great physical tools. Like he's got good size for a point guard, but it's like he's almost a point guard by default. He he's a six five guard who, as the game evolved to just put the ball in a guy's hands who can go score, he became that sort of point guard, right? Where he wasn't a guy who was always like, oh, thinking pass first. Mike detailed his positive assist to turnover ratio, but a lot of that is because of his ability to shot create for himself and then making appropriate reads that are coming off of that. I always worry about guys who have to slide back into a lower usage role, especially in an environment in which they are not clearly being acquired to do a very specific thing and actually step into usage. So when Dinwiddie went to the Mavs, for, for example, he was replacing Porzingis. Like he was looked at as, I think, a core player who could come in and play next to Luca, but also absorb usage on the second unit and be that guard. Like that's not where the Lakers have really struggled. Like they have needed another guard next next to Austin, but it's not like a team with LeBron and AD and this version of D'Angelo Russell, the one that's been around for the last six, six weeks or so. That's not a team that is like 
hurting for another usage guard, Mm -hmm. right? Especially with, with Austin still there as well. And so when we talk about concerns, like, yes, can he hold up in high leverage defensive assignments? Like I don't think so personally, like you say, Pete mentions that he's best at defending shooting guards. It's like, yeah, well, how many guys can you hide? The Lakers are already trying to say, D'Lo, you are going to go guard Herb Jones when they played the Pelicans. There's only one of those. The other team usually only has one of those guys that's on the court. And so are they going to play rock, paper, scissors to see who between D'Lo or well, Austin it's the same thing or we talk about. defense It's the same guys? thing we talk about, D, with the, <laughs> the starting lineup with Rui. It's like you run out of guys. So, Mike, like that's one of my concerns. It's just like – how do you slot these guys defensively? Because the other team isn't just going to throw out a bunch of non-usage stand to the quarter offensive guys so that the Lakers guards have someone to defend. Well, this is what I think is the responsibility of the coaching staff and to realize that Dinwiddie, while a very good player for many years, like he is coming in uh, in the 15th roster spot and not that he is the 15th player on the team, but like he is coming in to fit in. Uh, to what you're already doing. The Lakers have won four or five games. They've started to turn a corner. They're playing better basketball. Um, they are, you know, they are not healthy yet. And that's why I think this initial stretch is even more important than if they do get Vanderbilt back. If they do get Gabe Vincent back, then we'll see. They have to figure that out again. But I think there are minutes he can walk right into um, off the bench. But it's it's on, and I, I said it's on the coaching staff, it's also on Dinwiddie to come in and, and to sort of figure out where he fits. And that, I think that if all of that is done in good faith, then, then great. And where it starts, where it could go the other way, and this is where the concerns would come in, uh, is if, is if sort of the way that he wants to play doesn't quite fit with what the Lakers have been doing. And I don't, I don't think that that should happen, uh, because I think it should be relatively obvious where, um, where he fits and kind of what his skill set is. But those are the, it's just that he needs to be looked at as a player that's coming in who was bought out you know, and as opposed to collected by the team in the trade and not as a player who is an all-star or, or something coming in, you know, just because he's got a, a kind of a flashy individual game that can be really good. And that's that's an important way to view things, I think, to make it work. Yeah, I, you know how in cartoons there used to be when uh, the main character had a decision to make, there'd be an angel that would pop up on one shoulder, giving them good advice, and then a little devil on the other shoulder, giving them bad advice. I think that he can play into into both of those. And this Lakers team on offense in particular has both of those things going. The the best version of itself is one that's setting off-ball screens. It's moving the ball around really well. It's getting 30 to 35 assists, which we've been seeing consistently. The Lakers led or have led, I think, the last 10 games are the number one team in assists. They play it's it's a beautiful brand of basketball where there's passing, cutting, ball movement. And then the other side is where everybody's standing around in five out watching one person dribble, basically, and try to attack and break down someone down off the dribble. I think Spencer Dinwiddie also plays into that. Now I think he means we could do that a little bit better, D, but that is something that I worry about is there is a stagnation to our offense that I think that his mm-hmm. style of play, like he'd be totally happy to play that, that style of ball. Well, yeah, it's like we talked about what he did in Dallas. That's what Dallas did offensively a fair amount, right? It was classic four out stuff, like bring the big up to play screen and roll. Guys are in their stations and they're waiting for the kickout pass. That's not what the Lakers are doing now. 
In, in fact, the transition between that style of basketball and where they are now has been an arduous process oh, yeah. for them to get to the place where they are now, where they are passing the ball more, where they are getting assists, where they are looking like a competent five-out team. And do I expect Dinwiddie to come in and crash all that? No, I don't. But do I expect there to be a bit of um, some tension at times within the context of how the team's playing? Sure. To a certain extent, I do. In the big picture, I do think that it is on the coaches. It is on the player himself to sort of find where things fit the best and how both sides can sort of meet in the middle. The thing I wanted to pivot to, though, really quickly before we close out is Dinwiddie's a local kid. He's an L.A. product. He went to Taft High School. He ended up going to college in Colorado. But he talked pretty openly and has about being a Lakers fan and rooting for Kobe Bryant and all of this other stuff. And I'm always interested to see L.A. kids who get to come and play for the Lakers or local kids who get to come and play for the Lakers because it's a tricky thing and not everyone is built for that. Like Christian Wood talked about that. He's from Long Beach. Like Russell Westbrook, that was another experience with an L.A. kid. And there's lots of L.A. board guys who finally get their chance to play for the Lakers. And I just wanted to kick that idea to both of you about how you think that that influences things, especially like a guy who came up in that era of like Kobe's the man. All of that built into this season and and we started with Kobe yeah. talking about the statue and now let's end a little bit with that too. So it cracks me up that there's a so there's a whole basketball industry that I don't think most people are aware of. Their main connection point to basketball is the NBA. But there's all these sorts of clinics and uh you know at different jobs in basketball that 99% of the people have. And I was this was during the era where that's I was in that world. And so Dinwiddie had just graduated from Taft. I was an assistant coach at one of the other schools in that league. So he wasn't still playing, but he had just graduated. And at that time, I was an assistant for a a school, but then I was also working clinics and doing things like that over the summer. And at one of them, it was just, it's so funny that we traded for him. These were the first people I thought of. Two of the other coaches were younger guys who had played against him, and, and Dinwiddie had just gotten drafted. And it's just one of those life memories. We're sitting in this locker room, getting dressed, ready to coach. We were coaching like a youth camp type of thing. And they're so mad that he just got drafted. They're talking about how trash he is and like, I, ca- I can't believe he got drafted. I like, I, we, I used to kick his ass when we in our open runs and things like that. Anyway, I just know those dudes are somewhere hating on, on Dinwiddie yeah, sure, for coming sure home you did, right bro. Now. I'm sure right, you did. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so anyway, that just but uh that cracked me up. Yeah, he's a he's a local guy, uh you know, grew up in LA. I don't want to act like I know more about his story than I do, but that is something Mike that uh I do think is I do think that there is a style of basketball that LA kind of facilitates. And one of the things I'd love to do with my career at some point or one summer is just do a thing on LA hoops and kind of investigate it. But there's a style of basketball that I think Dinwiddie kind of plays into. And so uh, I'm curious your experience with that, Mike, of the guys that have been the homegrown kids. You've been around a lot of them. What is that experience like from your observation? Yeah, I don't know that there's a 100% a through line uh, through it, because what I've learned about LA is that it is a massive place, especially when you start to get out to the surrounding areas. And so Mm -hmm. there's LA itself, 
uh, and you know the like the area codes uh, that I that I live in and where the crypto.com arena is and then there's you know like where Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are, are from which is pretty far away uh even though it's still kind of somewhat within the family then there's Orange County you know then there's the valley and so there's these are all all of these places are bigger than Minnesota in terms of like how many players <laughs> <Yeah>. really <laughs> like yeah. literally so it's just a it's I, I've, I've found I haven't necessarily found one style or one way of being. Um, I think that the Laker mystique, though, that can apply to a kid from New York as well or a kid from Chicago that just sure. it feels a certain way about, you know, coming and playing basketball here for the Lakers in the NBA. And I don't I, too, don't know Dinwiddie well enough. It, that'll be one of the things that I would want to ask him about um, the first time that I interview him and and see if he if there's something that hits him particularly. But I do think that the the basketball skills that he has and sort of the understanding of that are most important. But if there's if he gets a little extra juice um, out of being a Laker, which I think a lot of guys do, that's great. The way that it would be transitioned onto the court then is like, are you are you comfortable in the spotlight when LeBron yeah. hits you with the pass in that building, looking up and Kobe's jersey is there. Is that something that you embrace or is that something that is that, you know, brings a, even a tiny bit um, of hesitation? And Dinwiddie seems to me like the kind that's going to embrace it uh, and like it. And that that is important, though, because if you go the other way, we've seen that happen um, as mm-hmm. well. Oh, yeah. Well, we got to wrap up here. Uh, good addition to the team. Very curious to see if he do you know if he's going to suit up tomorrow, Mike? That's what some of the reporting had been. But do we know? I, so I don't know. There's I think there's media veil today. Um, so we would probably hear about that from Darvinham. Okay. I would guess I would expect so. I wouldn't see why not. You know, it's been a couple of days now since he signed. So I I would expect him to be ready. Uh, we'll, we will have to wait and see officially, though. Let's go. Looking forward to his debut. All right. We will be back tomorrow to uh, keep it going. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. With a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers.
the Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.